2 Thessalonians. Can we turn there, if you would, please? 2 Thessalonians. And uh, we are going, book by book, taking kind of a, a flyover these books. We're not able to go verse by verse. I started in Genesis, and now we find ourselves in the book of 2 Thessalonians. What a great book of the Bible. Are you mad, Brother Jack, throwing your paper on the ground now that I'm up here? Great job. 2 Thessalonians, of course, these two books were written by the Apostle Paul. Paul had gone to Thessalonica after leaving Philippi. In Philippi, he was beaten. He was arrested. And, of course, that night, uh, he had already led Lydia and her friends to the Lord and her husband and the damsel that was delivered from the demon. And now there's new members in the church of Philippi with the Philippian jailer and his family. And he had been there many days putting up with this woman. And, by the way, it was interesting. The Bible tells us that after many days of this lady, this demon-possessed lady aggravating him, he finally said, enough is enough. You've got to come out. I often wondered, why did he wait so long? Why did he do it after he realized he, what he was dealing with the second day or the third day or the fourth day? But after many days of being frustrated, aggravated by this demoniac, he finally says that, you know, I think uh, some things, timing is really important. Discernment is really important. Picking your, picking your, your, your battles is really important. When to do it. But when that happened, of course, instantly his ministry was over in Philippi. The moment he relieved the, the lady of her demon, instantly he was going to be taken and beaten and put in jail, and he would have to go to the next town. And I think sometimes there are things that aggravate us, and we can very quickly be responsive and say, here's what I'm going to do. Maybe you ought to just really sit on that thing and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me? When do you want me to handle that? And and I don't think we ought to drag our feet, but I think sometimes there might be some reasons to let some things wait a little bit before you pull the trigger on some things. But nonetheless, he had, uh, he had gotten beaten and, and, of course, led the man to the Lord there at the jail. He led his family to Christ. They all got baptized that same hour of the night. And then the next day, when the magistrates come and let him out, and he goes to see Lydia and her family for a while and then make their way to Thessalonica. You know the story, but he goes there. He's there three Sabbath days, and then uh, because of the converts that are coming to Jesus Christ from the other religions, uh, some, some fervent Jews especially stir up, and they hire lewd men of baser sort, some thugs, and they arrest some of the new converts. Jason, they, it's where Jason is where he's staying at. They go to his house. They beat him up. And they pull him out, take him to jail. And another man, they have to post bail to get him out. And uh, the Christians realize, you know what? We've got to get Paul and Silas and Timothy out of Thessalonica. Because they're going to kill them. So they make an exit, and they leave Thessalonica. They go into Berea. When they get to Berea, uh, there they begin doing the same thing they've done in every other city they've gone through, from Lystra and Derbe and Philippi and Thessalonica, and now they're in Berea. He did know that the people of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they received the word with readiness of mind, and they went home and studied to see that those things were true that were taught by uh, those instruments that God gave them. And I, by the way, all of us ought to be thinking Christians. Christians. We should be thinking and say, what does the Bible say about that? Got to read something, go back. And I want to congratulate people. Miss Judy Wapner just told me, told me today that she's read through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and some of you have done the same thing. Thank you for doing that. But they read it. 
And they evaluated that. And of course, then the, the thugs came over to Berea, and it was thought best that Paul go on to Athens. And then he sent uh, Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica to disciple these folks. They had questions, numbers of questions, and he, uh, they sent a letter, or at least some questions, that they wrote unto him, and whenever they joined him in, in Corinth, from Corinth, he was there a year and a half, and he wrote both of these letters. First Thessalonians that we have in our Bible, and then Second Thessalonians we also have uh, that God gave us. It's interesting, one of the themes of both of those books is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Twenty times in these two books, the coming of Christ is referenced. Now, these people especially were excited about that. There was confusion about it, but there was, there was a focus. And I think it's interesting to note that these young believers who were only with the Apostle Paul for no more than a month, they had gotten stirred, out, stirred, up, stirred up about the coming of Christ, that Christ was coming again. And he gave it to them. And 20 times he references it in these eight chapters of our Bible, five in 1 Thessalonians and three in 2 Thessalonians. The first Thessalonians, the focus primarily is the church. In second Thessalonians, the focus primarily is the world. It's the world they're dealt, dealt with. So he writes the first letter back to them, and it doesn't seem like it's too much longer after that. He writes again the second letter, second uh, Thessalonians. If you would please look at chapter 2 and verse number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 2. And let's look, I think we can see uh, the, the, the reason for the letter. And let's look at verse number 1 first. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, that by the, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto Him. So we, 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 we approach you, we beseech you, we challenge you based upon the coming of Jesus. He's going to come and we're going to gather together to be with Him one day. Based upon that knowledge, verse number 2, read it out loud with me. Would you please that ye be not soon shaken in or be neither by nor by nor by. And then he's going to say, so now based upon the coming of Christ, I want to tell you, I don't want you to get shaken. Because it seems to me there was some stir up and it probably stirred from somebody. And of course, at this time of history, oftentimes these uh, a man would write, he would dictate what he wanted to say and someone would write it. And at the end, he would sign his name. Okay. And of course, the Apostle Paul says at the end of this thing, he signs his name because it looks like to me somebody had sent a letter to the church that contradicted what Paul taught them while he was with them and what he taught them in 1 Thessalonians. So they hadn't gotten some bad information, and it had challenged them that already the Lord, the Lord has already come, and they missed it, and there's other things happening, and, and maybe they're right in the middle of the tribulation period. And of course, we have people right now who are teaching that the, the Lord is going to come back in the middle of the tribulation period or at the end of the tribulation period or at, at the end of the millennium. Some of them are not sure about some of those things. Nonetheless, uh, I think uh, our church believes this. I believe the Bible is very clear on this, that Jesus is coming and then the tribulation will commence all seven years of it. I think that God's people who are saved will be delivered from the wrath that God is doing. What is God doing? What's this world coming to? It's coming to God. It's coming down the funnel of His wrath. He's squeezing it down to, uh, to a place with Him. 
But I believe the Lord Jesus is coming back before and then starts the tribulation period. But there had been some, there had been some squirrely doctrine that had been sent in, and at least a letter probably, because he addresses it, whether by word, by spirit of fear possibly, or it'd be by a letter as from us. Like you think it's, it's been written by us. Someone's written a letter and signed my name to it. He said, if you've got this, I don't want you to be soon shaken. Because before Jesus comes back, there will be two things happening. There will be a falling away, an apostasy, uh, and there will be a great departure from the truth. And number two, uh, the, 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 uh, the man of sin will be revealed or he'll be known, the Antichrist. Chapter 2 is about exposing the Antichrist. And he doesn't just do it just to give information. He gives admonition for us on that. But here's a couple things. Let's look at chapter 3, if you would please, in verse number 5, another key verse. And uh, if you would look at chapter 3, verse number 5, and let's read it together. Are you ready? And the Lord directs your hearts into the, into the patient waiting for His Son. I think the reason He wrote the book is, number one, so they would calm their shaken heart, and they would be directed to the love of Christ and be patient and continuing being faithful until the Lord Jesus comes back. I think that's the purpose of the book. Let's look at the outline of the book, if you would, please. Number one, I want you to notice the admonition, the admiration and the admonition that's expressed. The Apostle Paul admonishes them and admires them, no doubt. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Would you go back to chapter 1, verse number 3? We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth how? Exceedingly, that means extremely rapidly. You're growing in your faith. By the way, that should be your testimony and mine as well. Someone said the most important thing about us is our faith. The most important thing about us is what comes to your mind when you think about God. Can you trust Him? The reason people don't serve Christ and the reason we often have to live low lives is because we have a low opinion of God. Remember Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high end, then his glory filled the temple, and he saw his dominion, and he saw his train to fill the temple. And, of course, that speaks of the, the when, a, when a king would conquer another king, he would take his robe and, and, and sew it to the end of his train. And uh, then if he was, very, he was a great conqueror, well, his, his robe was far, his train of his robe was way too long. He said, man, God is the God of all gods, and his train fills the temple. So it, it fills it up because he, he has no rival. But at the end of the story, when he saw God, he saw himself, and then he said, woe is me. Boy, when I see God high and lifted up, then I see me low and undone. But then he said, well, who will we send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, hey, here am I. Send me. <laughs> Let me get involved with that. You know what will help you and I have a surrendered heart and a willingness to do things, to give aggressively, to love faithfully, to win, and to be able to do the hard things of life is a high opinion of God. When you see him in his proper place, you're going to quickly get a surrendered heart. And he said, I see that your faith is exceedingly abundant. It's really strong. Look at verse number three again. Go back and it says, and the charity, what's another word for charity? Good job, Brother Jack. 
of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. He said, man, you guys not only have faith toward God, but you have love toward one another. Verse number four, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience. It means, when you see the word patience, it doesn't mean just to sit around and wait. It kind of, it, it has an inclination of, of someone who is pressing on. That means they, they're going through hard times, but they're not stopping. They're continuing. We talked in the teacher meeting this afternoon, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, continuing to work, knowing that your labor is not going to be in vain the Lord. He says, I, I tell you, we, we glory, we have, we have praised God for your testimony. Not only do you have a faith that's exceedingly growing toward God, you have a love toward one another. By the way, should this be our testimony as well? You better believe it. And then he says, we have talked about you to other churches. And one of the things we've talked about you is you've taken your shots, you've taken your punches, you've taken your licks, and you just keep on going. You've got a patience. I'll tell you one of the most sweetest, you know, something when I think about um, faithful Christians, it's, it's, it's they, they've taken some difficulties. We watched a girl the other day sing in a meeting I was preaching at, and she sang, and when she sang the guitar, and she sang, and she did a great job beautiful job. And the man who said after she sang, he said, if you knew what that family has been through, it would just be amazing to hear her sing that song of praise to the Lord. And knowing what she's been through makes that song so much more powerful. You know, your life is powerful, not when you're on your good days and you're in Disneyland. Your life is powerful when you've gone through some challenges and you've just kept on going. Keep on going, keep on going. Look at the next one. The next word is patience and then faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He said that you're still going through it. He had left them. There was trials or difficulty. We don't know if they're from the Jews or from the Roman government. And we see in the Bible and heard this recently that we oftentimes the work of God and the Christians are hindered by government in, in, intervention and by local bullies that just want to aggravate. It's all through the Bible. You see it in Nehemiah's case. You see it in Ezra's case. You see it, uh, anybody trying to do for God will get aggravated by oftentimes government intervention and, uh, and local bullies. And he said, you're getting some challenges here, but you're continuing on. Let's look at the next verse real quickly. I won't, I won't go verse by verse, but I think it's good for us to see it. Verse number five, would you read it with me? Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Verse number six, everyone, seeing it is a with God to recompense. I want you to notice a couple of things real quickly. You're looking at your outline there. Admiration and admonition expressed in chapter one. Number one, he admired them and, and admonished them for their love. Verses chapter, chapter one, verse three. Number two, for their faith and patience through trials. Chapter one, verse number four. He also told them that at the conclusion of difficult times, God is still watching, he's still working, and he's still waiting, and he is going to come back. Have you ever heard the statement, God's coming back and he's mad? <laughs> There's nothing done to a child of God that will not be equalized by a great God. And here's the Bible going to tell them. People have been trying to get rid of God and get him out, and they're going to get their wish one day. They're going to get very far away from him in the lake of fire where he's not going. In this life, you spend time trying to get away from a God who loves you, then he'll give you your wish. 
He's going to get away. He says, "You're going to you, the, the, those who have, who it's, it's a not it's a light thing to God, not hard for God to deal with those who have hurt His kids." And by the way, I want to tell you, you want to always be good to your brothers and sisters in Christ. God takes it personal when we mistreat each other. Don't mistreat anybody, but especially those in the household of faith. I'll never forget, it's just reminded of this, about what, what Saul heard on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? He said, well, who are you? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It wasn't Jesus. He, didn't, he, he, he probably had seen Jesus. He probably had maybe even been there at the crucifixion. He may have even heard uh, all the things that were going on. He could have been in the time of the Sanhedrin meeting with Jesus, but... It wasn't him he was hurting, it was his people that he was hurting. And Jesus takes it personal when we are unkind to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can see several things. Here we find some prophetic thoughts real quickly. Verse number 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fires taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with how long of the destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power and talks about that day when it comes. In verse 11 is a beautiful thought and of course the glorification of God in their lives. That was the letter C there in your book, the glorification of God. But look at verse 11. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling. Here's a good prayer request. And each of the, each of the three chapters end with a prayer. That Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. Number one, I'm praying that you will give worth to the calling that God gave to you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, be a good Sunday school teacher. If you're a dad, be a good dad. If you're a mom, be a good mom. If you're a wife, be a great wife. Whatever God gives you to do in your ministry, give worth to it. This church is full of wonderful people that give worth to the work of God. And I admire you and I appreciate you for doing that. He said, I'm praying that you will count, that, uh, that God would count you worthy of his calling. You would give worth to your walk. Number two, you would fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. He said that, you would, you, that God would give you gladness in the journey. That you would, you, would, you would live in the pleasure and the goodness of God. Don't you like that verse? I'm serving the Lord with... Not a have to, but a get to. Enjoying the journey. And then that the work of faith with power, that God would grant you power. That was his prayer request. Chapter 2 is the Antichrist is exposed. And of course, this is a prerequisite for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, number one, there'll be a falling away. And, and we see that. And, and people, have, it's been happening for 2,000 years. But there's going to be a falling away and the son of perdition will be, the, the, the man of sin will be revealed. Let's look real quickly, verse number uh, four. He who, this is, his, this is his MO, he opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God. And that is worship. So that he is God sitting in the temple and showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. He said, when I was with you for those, that month, I explained this to you. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. He said, now you're kind of familiar with what holds it back from happening. Who, what is keeping the, the onslaught of, of total depravity coming across our world. Look, if you would please, at verse number 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth now already work, 
Now only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He's going to talk to them. He said, now, right now, he said, what we do have, we do have the Holy Spirit at work. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, how many remember where you were at 9-11? Remember 9-11, whenever you saw the, maybe the, I remember where I was. I was in San Jose, California. I was sitting at a, uh, a breakfast, at a, at, a, at a little continental breakfast at the hotel we were staying in. We were going out to Brother Treber's conference and brought, a, brought several men from our church up from Long Beach, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we see this plane fly into this building. I thought, what in the world? Look at that. And, and it said, this is, this is the second one. Look at the second one. I heard the, the newscaster. I said, what is that? And he said, something's happened over in New York. And I remember all the things, and I remember many people couldn't get on an airplane. They were, they were stuck out there in Santa Clara trying to find rental cars to get home, and it was crazy. But you know, what keeps that from happening every day of the world? What keeps that from, you know, airplanes could go into buildings every single day. Maybe not of those big, big ones, but people get in airplanes. You see them flying all over. You see, if you can look up in, a, in, a, in, a, in the sky, you can see 10 airplanes going in different places. You know what it does? I think the Spirit of God does. I think the Spirit of God, this world is very wicked, but it's not as wicked as it's going to get. And when the Holy Spirit is, is taken away, that one who, who tucks away and, and, the, and the dam is broken, it's going to get awful. And people are going to cry out that rocks would fall on them. And it's going to get so awful. He said, but that's when the man of sin will be revealed. And that's when the tribulation is. So he's speaking to these new Christians about uh, the Antichrist. And he challenged them at the end. And you can see his prayer. Let's just look at it real quickly. Verse number uh, verse number. Verse number 15, he goes into his prayer. Therefore, because of all I've talked to you about, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you have been taught. Number one, he says, guard the truth, whether by word or, or our epistle, by what we've taught you or what we wrote to you in this letter. Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Read verse 17 with me. Comfort your hearts and establish you. Every time he said, I want you not only to guard the truth, but practice the truth. Be established and grow in, that, in light of that. He doesn't want to be afraid. He doesn't want to be shaken. Verse chapper 2 is all about it. He says, I don't want you to get tore up about this. Just know that God knows the future. And you and I can, can guard the truth and practice the truth and be established and be comforted in our heart knowing that God knows the last chapter. Chapter 3, real quickly, here's, here's a couple things. Here's his advice that's given. I love this. Verse number 1, read it out loud with me. Ready? Finally, brethren, pray for us. May have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that, ye, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And of course, here's a missionary writing back to a church and saying, here's one of the first things you can do for us. You can pray for us. And then he says, pray that we can, that the word of God would have free course. I was praying for our missionaries today a little bit and, and, uh, and through the night when I was flying back this morning. And I thought to myself, you know, as I, as I was going through the different things, I, today I was looking to the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance, not the Pledge of Allegiance, but the National Anthem, one of the basketball games out at the school. And when, I, when I was pledged, pledged allegiance to the flag, I, I always just began thanking God, first of all, for our country. 
I go through the stars, and as many as I can remember, I'll name the states and the pastors and the churches that come to my mind. And I'll pray for them. I pray for our president. pray for our Senate and our, and our House representative. I think about the, the military. I don't just want to stand there and zone out. I want to, I want to think about those things and, and, and pray for our country. But then we pray for our missionaries. We've got to pray, God, give their words they speak free course that it could really be received, and that God would deliver them from, the, from the, the unreasonable men who don't have it together, who can understand things, and deliver them from unreasonable men who are trying to, to contradict the, the, the free course of the Word of God. I'm going to show you a picture real quickly, if I can, if I could get the picture of the two men from, this is Brother, Ag, Ag, uh, Brother um, Amgad, and Brother Boltros, Brother Boltros Fouthaus is our missionary in Egypt. Brother, Brother Amgad, and I have a picture of his wife and, and him as well. He's a pastor in Giza, Egypt. Tomorrow morning he's going to court. He's got a vibrant church, but um, if court doesn't go good tomorrow, he's going to jail. And he's going to jail because he's a, he's a Christian man in a Muslim country. And um, he's going to have the court tomorrow and and then another one on, May, on March the 9th. I talked to Brother Botros today. Just, he's all tore up. The man, Pastor, we, we have done nothing. They've created false accusations against him. He's such a good man. He has a love for the Lord. He has a good, vibrant church of good people. But he's going to go to court tomorrow morning. Would you please pray for him? They're about six hours or seven hours ahead of us. But when I think about, think about what, it was, what he's facing, is just unreasonable. I think you can look at his face and just tell that's a good man. <laughs> but I know him. He's a good fellow. Loves the Lord. Got a sweet group of people there in Giza, of, of a section of, of, of Cairo. But uh, we can pray, God, help the word of God to get out. And I pray you deliver them from, from attacks, from people that they don't know any better. They're just doing what their daddy tells them to do. I pray that God would deliver them and help them. In this way. Let's look at the next thing real quickly. We ought to pray. Advice given. Pray. Number two, look to God. Look to the Lord. Look at verse number three. That the Lord is what? Who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You'll see the word establish a couple times in this book of the Bible. He wants them to be stable. He wants them to be stable, not to be soon shaken. He wants them to be established and stable. Uh, and we need to look to the Lord. I'll let you look at the rest of these. Another, another thing we can do is obey God, verses, uh, verse number four. And then I think it's interesting. He tells them, I want you to separate from people who are not walking in the right way. Look at verse number six, would you please? Here's his advice. Pray, look to God, obey God. Look at verse number six. Read it with me, would you please? Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you... not after the traditions which you have received of us. And of course, this is talking about separation. Is this separation from the world in this passage, this verse? Is it or no? No, separation from who? A brother that doesn't, that's, not, that's doctrinally not on the same page, and that's not living orderly. According to the two things, so you're going to need to separate. You know, one of the most important things for everyone's spiritual success is not only what you follow after and fight for, but also who you flee from. 
The Bible tells us whenever, for your financial success, there's four principles in the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, number one, work diligently. Number, number two, live contentedly. Number three, give generously. But right in the middle of that is associate carefully. If you hang with the wrong kind of friends and they're big spenders and charge, charge card, charge, and they just keep, they need to do plastic surgery and they're just spending money like drunken sailors, spending money they don't have and going to do it. You know what you do? If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in that. Years ago, Linda and I, we had friends, and, and I don't know where they were getting their money. I do know now that they were getting it from Discover and Visa and MasterCard. But they were going out to eat every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Come on, John, Linda, come on, come on. And you know what? I, I just told Linda, I said, we can't hang with them. We can't hang with them because we were in the early stages of our marriage and early stages of child rearing, and, and we were trying to give aggressively. We were trying to stay within our means. And I'm thinking, man. But, you know, I, I oftentimes, uh, I, I, see, I see the importance. And I love them, but I couldn't, I couldn't go with everything they were doing. Some of the wisdom is learning how to separate yourself from some folks who are not walking orderly. You beautiful young men and lady, good young men and, and beautiful ladies at Howells Anderson College, there's a group of people out there, you just, you love them at a distance. Just, they're just not, they're not good for me. And I would, if I were going to college now, I'd find some people. I'd say, you know, this is my friends. If I were if a member of this church, there's some sweet people. You love everybody. As a pastor, I have to be very careful. I, I, want, to, I want to be around men who, who have pure heart. They have a love for God. They have a faith that is real. They have a conscience that's clean. And sometimes you can usually tell a person, if you just spend a little while, I and mean, God tells us some people, you can be with them five minutes and you can see, oh, their sin is up front. And sometimes people sin follow after. One of the more challenging things about Christianity is you've got to have to either change your beliefs or change your friends the longer you go down through it because people begin to change. It's not fun. It's probably one of the difficult things about Christianity. And yet he's telling them, listen, if you hear someone that doesn't walk by this, by this biblical truth, well, we'll step away from them. Look at another verse real quickly, if we can, please, verse 14 and 15. And if any man obey not that, our word by this epistle, what I'm telling you in this, in this letter, an epistle is not an apostle's wife, it's a letter. Note that man, make, make a note of him, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And I want you to read verse 15. This is important. Look at this, verse 15. Read it out loud with me. Yet count him not as an... He said, but don't, you don't have to throw them under the bus. You don't have to get on Facebook and tell them how much you don't like them. That's stupid. You don't have to go around and run your mouth and flap your soup coolers about all the things, your opinions about everybody else. He said, you, you may have to admonish them, but admonish them personally. But not as, don't count them as an enemy. And there's, you see a beauty of, 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 um, of balance here. The Apostle Paul said, you may have to step away from somebody. But uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend all your time with them. But at the same time, you don't count them as an enemy. I love what Apostle Paul tells the people, and even Jesus, when the disciples came to Jesus, said, hey, this guy, they're preaching, but they're not with us. He says, they're not, with, they're not against us, they're for us. Paul said another way, he said, if Christ be preached, even of contention, I'm happy. 
Even if someone's preaching something, preaching Christ, but they they got a bad attitude, a bad disposition, or they don't like me, or we don't really care each other, then I'm happy if God's being if God's being preached. And that's the kind of attitude we ought to have. Look at the last one, and that is work. And you see a classic verses here. And he tells them he was an example of this. But verse number 10 is a classic verse. You want to underline this in your Bible. But look at it, if you would please read it with me. For even when we were with you, you would not work, neither. And this is a, a great verse teaching. One of the greatest motivation for work is hunger. If you get hungry enough, I've watched a guy the other day, you know, he's standing on the corner and he's got smile or be a nice day. And then someone waves a dollar and he runs over and he smiles. <laughs> and he's got six teeth in his mouth, you know, but he smiles and he's happy to get another dollar and he runs back there and he's waiting up, you know. So people just want, will work for food or help me having a bad day or why lie? I just need a beer or whatever they put up there. But you know what will put that guy's sign down? And I'm not opposed to helping him. You know what help him put that sign down? He got hungry enough. <laughs> if he got hungry enough, he'd put his sign down and go start collecting cans or start doing something. And because God made us, he said, if you don't, if a man isn't laboring, now they were, they were influenced by the, by the, uh, the Greek culture. And the, if you did manual labor, you are, you're not that, all that. But if you're really smart, you sit around in circles and just talk like Socrates and Aristotle and these guys right here. Only the smart people, they just sit around and talk. If you're not very smart, then you've got to go out and work with your hands. He says, no, no, we've taught you to labor with your own hands as, as, as we commanded you. He said, well, I was with you. We worked. He, two times he got, he got uh, mission support from Philippi in those three weeks he was away. But they also worked night and day, he said, to provide so we would not be chargeable to you because we knew that you thought negatively. You thought if we came to you giving you the gospel, you would thought bad about us. So we didn't, we, weren't, we didn't say give to us. We said we'll work, we'll provide for that, and we gave you an example. So you do the same thing. Don't get caught up in my name is Jimmy, take all you give me. Last things, real quickly, lessons to remember. Number one, the Christian life is not painless. There are some challenges. Number two, guard against having attributes like the Antichrist. The Antichrist is, is described in chapter 2, verse 4. He exalted himself against what, what God is. And by the way, it doesn't submit to the Lord. Rebellion is, is a sin of, okay, just don't, don't be a rebellious person. And uh, that, that in, even with God, the Bible says that, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And then in Romans chapter 13, when we talks about uh, submitting ourselves to government. Why? Because they're ministers of the God. He said, he said don't, don't be rebellious. And then I think of the next thing real quickly, and that is number three, work diligently. And we've already given a talk to that. 